0: So continuing our investigation into self-view and uh, what arises from that and how to work with it. Uh, I thought to uh, today to talk a, a bit about uh, emotions and relationships. The chanting that we did at the end of the morning session. The four Brahma Viharas, the sublime abidings, the four immeasurables also they're called. So, uh, loving kindness, uh, metta, uh, compassion, karuna, uh, mudita, sympathetic joy or gladness of the good fortune, blessings of others. And then upeka, um, translated uh, in this version as uh, equanimity, also seren- serenity is another good word. Serenity is another good word for upeka. So, these can be considered to be the Mature emotions, or if the heart is, uh, is liberated, say the, uh, an arahant, an enlightened being, these will be the emotional, natural emotional disposition of the heart of a, an enlightened being, will be loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and serenity, equanimity. Um, Sometimes it's represented, the Arahants don't have any emotions, but I would say that's incorrect, just like in the morning chanting again, uh, the Buddha, Karuna, the Buddha, absolutely pure, with ocean-like compassion. That's, that's a, uh, the compassion is is an emotion, it's a, there's a, an emotional tone quality to that. So uh, how this relates to self-view uh, uh, is that um, For most of us, where self-view arises uh, very strongly in our lives, and perhaps most strongly, is in our relationships and the emotions that we have about the people that we live with, the people that we work with, uh, the political uh, sphere, um, the way things are in our country, around the world. So uh, it's in the domain of, of emotion and relationship that... The I <laughs> feeling can easily be strongest me and you, I and you, and um, both positive negative and uh, and also just with qualities of of entanglement uh, the way that we we create each other. so I thought it would be useful to explore that um, we 've been speaking the last day or so on um, very sort of refined areas of of the Dharma practice and uh, insight, wisdom. Um, so I thought it would be helpful just to, to look at this other uh, area where where self-view forms and clusters. And again, I'm not reading anybody's mind. It's like if you're thinking, how did he know? <laughs> well, statistics, <laughs> not, not psychic power, it's just how it is in most people's lives where the, the feeling of I and me and mine, me and you, come up very strongly is in is in our relationships, in our family, our our partners, particularly ex-partners, that uh, (laughs) are exceptionally strong, or or uh, our teachers or ex-teachers, loving or or resenting. Um, And so I felt this is a a good area to to look at. In the, the questions and discussion sessions we've been having, this has come up a few times, talking about the, the four uh, Brahma-viharas, the, the sublime abidings and then their the receptive aspects as well as their expressive ones. Um, and also talking about compassion, how compassion can be misused and become obsessive or just uh, and, or busy or, or oppressive uh, and so on. So I thought in terms of, of looking at how we relate with each other and again a day or two ago a question about caring for each other and and about compassion and, and love in the world so uh, at that time I mentioned the simplest way of describing it is as as two kinds of loving uh, I would say a possessive love and liberative love love where there's a sense of self-view I, I'm here you're there I love you you love me I belong to you you belong to me um, whether it's parent-child, uh, you know, grandchild-grandparent, uh, romantic partners, uh, uh, fellow uh, students, whether it's student-teacher, <laughs> interesting, <laughs> we are here already. <laughs> so whether it's a, a student-teacher, because well, people can have very passionate relationships to their their teachers, their gurus, and um, have extremely strong feelings about that teachers should be respected or loved and be very indignant or upset when the, the teacher is not respected or not loved or, or apparently so insulted or more put down. And, or if your faith in a teacher is broken, then feelings of intense you know, rage and, and resentment and indignation about the teacher's uh, attitudes or conduct can, can rise up. So uh, whether it's a romantic relationship, parent-child relationship, working relationship, general family relationship, um, siblings, uh, or teacher-student, or or whatever it might be, I feel it applies in all these domains, this way of framing things. And I was talking a little bit about how people said, don't you miss Ajahn Sumaito? I said, no. And then assuming that (laughs) therefore you don't respect or, or love a person because you don't miss them. So, this is uh, the this domain of, of possessive love and, and liberative love. There's a couple of, of suttas that uh, I often quote in relationship to this, the sort of classic places where this is talked about in the Pali Canon. Uh, one of them is called the Piyajatika Sutta, it's in the middle length discourses. It literally means born of those who are dear. Piyati or P I Y A. Uh, is dearness, and so I would say that characterizes this quality of possessive love, that cherishing, relishing with an element of self-view of I and me and mine involved in it. The scenario opens up with uh, the Buddha sitting, meditating out in some parkland and uh, this very distraught man uh, comes by and he's weeping and wailing and crying and uh, he's very upset and uh, he sees the buddha and starts up a conversation and um, the buddha knows he, he seem very distressed very upset and he said well how could i not be my my dearest only child has passed away so how could it not be that i'm distressed and upset and and uh, unhappy and the buddha said yes suffering comes from those uh, those who are dear to us And then the guy says, what are you talking about? You know, happiness comes from those who are dear. You know, you're you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. And then stomps off. Even though he was crying (laughs) and upset, he takes exception to what the Buddha says. And then according to the story, then he goes off and in a different part of the, the park, there's a few guys playing dice together, gambling, over a dice game, and he says, you yeah, know, that stupid monk, he said that you know, suffering and, uh, and pain comes from those who are dear. That, that can't be right. That, that's, that's totally stupid, isn't it? He said, yeah, absolutely right. You know, joy and happiness comes from those who are dear. And, to, and so I agree with the gamblers and disagreed with uh, with the, the monk, the, the Buddha sitting there. So uh, uh, again, according to the story, the, the news of this encounter rippled through the town, to the, to the royal palace, to King Pasenadi and Queen Malika. This was in, um, in Savati, the capital of the kingdom of Kosala, And so uh, this got through to the palace. And then uh, King Pasenadi said, well, well it's, I don't know why the, the Buddha would say that, that uh, it's totally wrong. I mean, everyone knows happiness and, and joy come from those who are dear. And it's like, you know, I don't know what the Buddha's talking about. And then Queen Malika says, well, if the master said it, it must be true. And he said, pah! Away with you, Malika! Whatever he says, you always agree with him. You know, Off with you. Get out of here. Or the Pali equivalent. <laughs> so she goes off. And, okay, well, may you be happy with your opinion. <laughs> and so uh, anyway, there's, uh, there's uh, a little bit of a domestic uh, dispute arises around this between Queen Malika and King Passenedi, <laughs> who loved each other very much, but there's some tension in the household over this issue. And eventually, they say, well, let's invite the, the Buddha here, and uh, we can ask him ourselves. And so that uh, they invite the master to come and receive a meal at the palace. And then uh, the king says, so, uh, you know, I heard this story that, uh, you, you, know, that you said, Venerable Sir, that uh, uh, suffering and pain come from those who are dear, uh, but surely it's the case of happiness and joy come from those who are dear, not pain and suffering. And uh, he said, um, surely you were, you were misreported. That wasn't what you said. And the Buddha said, no, I was reported correctly. That's exactly what I said. So Queen Malikara is like, <laughs> it's quite quite c- content that um, she's been proved right. And then uh, so the, the king is a like, <sighs> kind of typical male uh, um, resentment of being proved wrong in public, <laughs> as we can be. <laughs> and so... Uh, and so then the Buddha goes on to explain. So he said, let's talk about this. Let me explain. So he starts off uh, by saying, so is, uh, is your daughter, Princess Vajiri, uh, uh, is she dear to you? Uh, is she uh, precious to you? And he says, yes, she's very dear to me. She's my most beloved child, so she's very dear to me. And so he said, so if something happened to her, if she became sick or ill, if she died, how would you feel? Well, I'd be very upset. I'd be very sad. So is Queen Malikar very dear to you? Yes, she is most dear to my beloved, my beloved queen. And so if she became ill or something happened to her, how would you feel? Well, I'd be upset, I'd be. And then the Buddha, being extremely thorough, goes through. <laughs> Not just the, the princess and the queen and then the chief minister and then the, the kind of the city of Savati and then the kingdom of Kosala and the kind of do-do-do. There's a long list to go through. And each time he says, so how would you feel if that was something happened or if it was um, destroyed or damaged came or to, came to difficulty? So after about a dozen of these, then they're like, okay, Venerable, I, I get the point, Venerable Sir. So I, I understand how pain and suffering come from those who are dear. And uh, I see I see what you mean, as it's sort of the point is pushed home over and over and over. And so um, that's one instance where this is uh, this is talked about. And then a, uh, another instance is a dialogue with Visaka. So Visaka was a, a great uh, lay disciple of the Buddha, also in, in the region of Savatthi, the city of Savatthi and uh, she was also a, a very prolific mother she had uh, according to the stories 10 sons and 10 daughters and they each had 10 sons and 10 daughters so she was grandmother of 400 grandchildren big family <laughs> so even even allowing for a little bit of a, a, exaggeration in scriptures she certainly had a lot of children and a lot of grandchildren and so in this scenario she comes to the to the um to the Jetavana in the middle of the day. It was an unusual time for a layperson to visit. She finds the, the Buddha there, and uh, the Buddha sees that her, her hair is wet and her clothes are wet, and, and it's the middle of the day. And so he says, Visakha, what, what, what are you doing here, coming to the, the Jetavana with the, your hair and your clothes are all wet, um, you know, what, what's, uh, what brings you here? And she said, well, I've just come from the funeral for my dearest granddaughter who just passed away, little granddaughter. Um, And so I've just come from the funeral ceremonies. And it seems that there was, you know, sprinkling of water or or, or water was poured over a person's head during funeral ceremonies in those days. And so uh, I'm very upset. I was so distressed and upset at the loss of the death of my my little granddaughter. So this was the first place I thought to come to find some sort of comfort. Uh, Visakha was also known as uh, a very accomplished meditator, practitioner and a stream-enterer. Um, and so uh, the Buddha said to her, So, Visakha, um, would you like to have as many children and grandchildren as there are people in the city of Savatthi?" She said, Well, of course, you know, I've got a lot already, but, you know, I'd love to have as many children, grandchildren, as there are people in the city of Savatthi." And then the Buddha being uh, quite a logician. (laughs) So, every single day in the city of Savati, at least ten people die. Um, Would you ever be without your hair and your clothes wet from the funerals of uh, of those who have died? If not ten, nine. If not nine, eight. If not, not eight, seven. If not seven, six. If not six, five, four, three, two, one. At least one person dies every single day in the city of Savati. So, would you ever be without your hair and your clothes wet from the funeral ceremony? So she was a quick learner. <laughs> so Enough of having so many children and grandchildren. <laughs> and so it gets the point. So in these teachings it can seem that the Buddha was quite sort of negative or looked down upon any kind of bond or relationship But also, uh, the Buddha was described and and represented over and over and over of having an infinite degree of compassion, loving-kindness, and say the effort to to teach and to seek the welfare of all beings. That's why he taught, that's why he established the Sangha, that's why he expressed so many different uh, Dhamma teachings over 45 years, travelling all over northeast India. So he certainly had a lot of love and compassion, but as was, uh, we were saying in the, the dialogue yesterday, I think, uh, again, I, I lose track of exactly what was said when, but I think in yesterday's dialogue, that even though he had tremendous compassion, an ocean-like compassion for all beings, that compassion wasn't possessive or obsessive. It wasn't that he was uh, suffering on account of, of of the suffering of others, he was empathizing. He appreciated the suffering of others, and he acted accordingly to help alleviate that. But he wasn't creating suffering on on account of the suffering of others. This is an interesting distinction to make. I find <laughs> um, the word compassion. whenever I do a P sound, it <laughs> the the, ex, the explosive P sound kind of hits the microphone. So sorry about that. I'll try to moderate my my puh sounds. So the uh, uh, the word compassion in English comes from the Latin compasio. So passio means suffering. Like when they talk about the passion of Christ, it wasn't Jesus being you know, excited or agitated. It was talking about suffering, the suffering of Jesus. So, pasio means suffering. Compassion means literally means, and com or cum, c-u-m or c-o-m, means with. So, it literally means to suffer with. So, the English direction that's given for that emotion is your suffering along with the suffering of others. Um, but in Buddhist psychology, karuna, and then there's another word, uh, um, anukampa, which is uh, also used for compassion. Anu, uh, the uh, in the request for the Dhamma talk, out of compassion. They are not states of suffering. So in Buddhist psychology, compassion doesn't involve uh, your own suffering. And that, I would say, is a big difference <laughs> uh, in terms of the practice of compassion. So karuna is one of the four immeasurables, abundant, exalted, immeasurable. It's a great brightness of heart. It's not a sadness, it's not It's not uh, a state of suffering, uh, so there's an empathy, there's a receiving or a knowing that the suffering and difficulty of others, but you're not suffering on on uh, account of that. Uh, I often tell a story of when when I was a, a novice uh, <laughs> forty four years ago um, in uh, in northeast Thailand. And uh, very, very few of the local people spoke any English at all. That was very new in the monastery. And um, uh, the, the meal time, the one meal of the day in the monastery is at 8.30 in the morning. So by 10 o'clock, pretty much all of the monks and novices, everybody's gone back to their huts and the kutis in the forest. And the, the main meeting hall is, a, is, is empty. So I was just, it was about half past 10 or 11 o'clock, uh, and I was just tidying up and doing something there, and this, this fellow showed up um, to visit the monastery, and uh, he was a, a military officer who had some uh, business in, in the area, and he'd heard about this monastery of Western monks in the region, and it was uh, uh, curious to come and see and to uh, meet the community there, and so I was the only person around, and he happened to speak a bit of English, so we, we got talking. And this turned into a very memorable uh, encounter. I never, I never met him again after that time, but uh, we were talking uh, about compassion and about uh, helping others and uh, that motivation. And so I was only twenty-one at the time, so was, I was uh, still very much in my uh, so idealistic teenage spirituality. And I, I, uh, I had a, a lot of natural compassion. I was a very tearful child. I used to cry a lot because I, I would would um, suffer i would try and help everybody and everything and and would and would uh, very much feel the pain of other beings and get very upset so i was a very tearful child um sometimes people find that hard to believe but i was (laughs) my mother told the story of when uh, when i have two two older sisters and she she realized i was a bit of a strange boy when uh, there was the three of us all clustered around our little black and white television and it was the story of Heidi uh, many of you might be familiar with and so my sisters are sitting there kind of glued to the screen you know, with with so sort of interested looks on their faces uh, and, uh, and I was kind of following along the story and my mother said I, and I was sitting there with tears pouring down my face so this, you know Heidi trying to help this, this disabled girl and the, uh, this would difficulties they were encountering, and she said, funny boy. (laughs) You know, in other respects, I was a sort of regular rough-and-tumble kind of child, but I would feel these things very strongly. I wasn't allowed to watch Bambi, the Disney film Bambi. I I wasn't allowed to watch it because they thought I would would be inconsolable for weeks. So literally, I didn't see the film Bambi until I was in my 30s on an airplane. I mean, I could have seen it before, but... As a child, they said, no, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll all have to deal with that for weeks if, if, if he sees that, with the, Bambi's mother being shot at the beginning of the, of the film. Um, and so I felt a lot, and all through my teens, I, I, I suffered a lot with the suffering of others. So this encounter with this, this fellow who came to visit um, Hwampanandashat was very significant. In Thailand, the military are also involved in a lot of social work. They do a lot of um, help out with a lot of social programs and local engineering projects like put, you know, building dams and putting irrig- irrigation uh, projects and putting in wells and such like. So they're not just involved in, in sort of uh, mur- murderous activity. They're also put to a, a lot of engineering work and so on. And so we were talking about compassion and activity, and I was saying how uh, I always feel I should do more, I could do more, and I I, I feel really bad about myself that I can't do more. And he looked at me this sort of, hmm, that's strange. He said, I I have confidence that I I know in my heart that if I could do more, I would do more. But uh, at any one time I can only do so much. So why create suffering about something that I can't do? I know if I could do more, I would do more. I know that. I'm not selfish or lazy. But um, if I can't do it, then I don't create suffering about it. And when he said that, if you can follow what I I mean by that, it just hit me. That had never crossed my mind. There was always that, you should do more, and it's your fault that they're suffering because you can't do more. So their suffering is your fault. So that was the, my automatic assumption, was that uh, if you can't help, it's your fault that uh, you're not able to help, and their suffering is, is because of you. Uh, and uh, and that's, so the, the look on his face was so just, oh, how curious. Uh, I, if I could do more, I would do more, but I can't. So why, uh, why create suffering about something that you can't do? Because then you've got two suffering beings instead of just one. And yeah, I've usually got an answer for everything. (laughs) But I was left a bit speechless at that point. Like, wow, that kind of changes everything. (laughs) I thought, this Buddhism is really good stuff. In this this respect, when we we think about the the nature of karuna or anukampa, uh, compassion in the Buddhist sense, uh, and also uh, emotions generally, if there's a quality of possessiveness, that piety, a pia quality, then that's the, the, the thing that creates the, the stressing, the tension in the heart, that's the, the cause of suffering. If we don't have a possessive quality, if the love is liberative, if it's a love that lets go and it's not possessive or, or based around self-view, um, or that sense of, of um, compulsion or obligation, or expectation, then that kind of loving does not produce suffering. <laughs> it's, I know, it's a sweeping statement, <laughs> but um, in in terms of relationships, then it is often uh, the case that uh, if uh, if you go into a relationship like a romantic partnership or a teacher student relationship. Uh, And if if you go into that relationship and you assume, it's my job to make you happy, and if you're not happy, it's my fault, or it's your job to make me happy, and if I'm not happy, it's your fault, (laughs) then, you know, that... Um, and then it's what I call a relationship of separateness. I'm here, you're there, and I'm trying to make you happy, I'm trying to do everything right. Um, you're there and you're trying to make me happy or, 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 uh, and trying to get everything right. Or uh, I'm expecting you to make me happy, you're expecting me to make you happy. If That's not all too complicated. But that sense of um, looking at each other from two isolated positions it can never work out. The more that I try to help you, uh, the more there's a solid me and a solid you, whether it's a romantic relationship or a teacher-student relationship or a parent-child relationship uh, a, uh, you know, or a working relationship you know, with, with the boss or your, with your, your team or your workers. Uh, as long as there's that fixity of identity, then it's never going to quite work out right. Uh, I remember I was at a wedding blessing many, many years ago when the, in, uh, a Thai Ajahn was was doing a wedding blessing in, in the West. And uh, I thought he explained this very, very very well to the couple. And he said, you know, if, and he had his fingers pointing at each other like that, said, so if you're looking at each other and he's trying to make her happy and she's trying to make him happy and he's expecting her to make him happy and she's expecting him to make her happy, it's like, you know, it's, it's never going to work. But if you're side by side... Uh, looking at that which is beyond both of you, then, then it can work, and he can put his fingers sort of side by side like that and I thought that 's a pretty good blessing <laughs> it doesn 't just work for marriages, it works for uh, in spiritual communities and uh, in parent child relationships families and so it 's a letting go of expectation, a letting go of of that sense of of obligation uh, or or, or buying into somebody else's uh, someone else's expectations that rather there's a, that's a quality of inner confidence, inner wholeness so I would say that uh, as a contrast between a relationship of separateness and a relationship of, of wholeness I don't need you to make me complete if you're around, I'm, I'm happy like I like, uh, like say you know, I'm quite content in my room across the way by myself and I don't need to have all of you around as students in order to make me fulfilled or happy. I'm not trying to be insulting. <laughs> but uh, if I'm here, I'm very happy to be with you all. But if I'm not with you, uh, and I'm not teaching anybody anything, nothing is missing. Or <laughs> well, like I was saying about not missing Lumpur Somato. Uh, so... Uh, I would say that the the Brahma-viharas, those sublime abidings, they represent the kind of emotional tone of those relationships of wholeness, whether it's kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, or or serenity, equanimity. Um, The more that we can cultivate those relationships of wholeness, where we are, are, say, letting go of self-view, then in a mysterious way, those relationships work much better. It's one of the reasons why we remember and revere and love the Buddha 2,600 years after he was walking the planet, is because he did that really, really, really well. <laughs> he let go of everybody. You know, he loved the world so much, he let go of everyone, <laughs> everything. Um, And so, but that kind of love is a a love that is completely non-possessive, it's completely liberative. As usual, we'll have some time for questions later this morning, so please, uh, I realize this is a very fertile area. (laughs) And uh, you say, well, I've got this relationship that I'm in. (laughs) But uh, so later this morning we'll have time for for questions, but uh, just to... Uh, be bearing in mind what what might be useful to ask or to to clarify later on. So uh, the kind of relationships that the the Buddha does encourage both, uh, whether it's parent-child, romantic partners, um, ex-partners, teacher-student, co-workers, uh, just fellow citizens and and fellow living beings. Um, The kind of relationships that are, are encouraged particularly in the human realm, is that of kalyanamita, spiritual friendship. And there's a very, very famous uh, dialogue between... Um the Buddha and Ananda, who is his attendant. And the unwritten backstory of this it seems to be that Ananda seems to have been having a conversation with another of the monks or someone that's saying, you know, meditation is absolutely the essence of spiritual life, that this is really the most important thing, and that, you know, spiritual practice, training your own, your own mind, practicing meditation, this is really the whole deal. That's the kind of unspoken backstory. So, what you get in the actual Sutta is Venerable Ananda coming to the Buddha and just saying, uh, you know, Venerable Sir, uh, half of the holy life um, is spiritual friendship. In the original Sutta, as far as I remember, you don't get any of the, the backstory. but it seems to be that's why Ananda comes up with this comment saying, you know, half of the holy life is Kalyanamitta, spiritual friendship, like your companionship with like-minded, good-hearted people. And then the Buddha says, uh, not so, Ananda, as he frequently did, as the, anyone who's read many of the suttas, the Buddha's regularly saying, not so, Ananda. <laughs> Ananda was a little bit over-enthusiastic, and he would kind of say, oh, wow, look at this. And Oh, this is, it's got to be this way. So the Buddha was regularly saying, not so, Ananda. Uh, and Which he does in this case, he said, it's not half of the holy life, it's the whole of the holy life. And that's a very famous quotation, and for for good reason. And he's saying it's spiritual friendship, having good companions. That's the whole of the holy life. Uh, And there's various different ways to reflect on that, but he really encourages that sense of spiritual friendship, because... It's a very rare being, I would say, in my own experience, that can genuinely live and practice on their own, fulfill their spiritual potential without any input from, from friendly, like-minded people, either uh, their own peers their, or a teacher, to just, just kind of figure it out on your own and carry it through to, to any kind of completion. It's kind of one in a hundred million. You, know, you do get people like that. I would say, like, Sri Ramana Maharshi would be maybe one of, one of those, you know, one in a hundred million. But it really is, in my sort of finger-in-the-wind reckoning, it's about that kind of a number. It's like it's very, very, very rare. The other 999,000 people, we need friends. Uh, and, and it makes a big difference if we've got guidance, we've got a teacher, we've got a map. And uh, spiritual friendship is is extraordinarily important. And so that, that's the kind of relationship. And that's why the Buddha established the, the Sangha, the monastic order, the fourfold assembly, laywomen uh, lay laymen, uh, nuns and monks, the, the fourfold assembly, that he put a lot of effort, the whole Vinaya discipline, uh, to establish the training precepts for the monastic community. It's extraordinarily thorough. If you add it all up, there's, there's more than 10,000 rules and observances, five volumes... Five substantial books of do's and don'ts. I mean, some of them are pretty obscure, like we shouldn't make sandals out of peacock feathers. It's not a big problem in most of our lives <laughs> making sandals out of peacock feathers, but we're not allowed to. You know, it's too bit too bit too vain and colourful for a monastic. But, but other ones are, are very practical and like don't lie. You know, don't kill don't kill animals. Don't uh, don't engage in sexual activity of any kind. Much more, sort of practical on daily in a daily basis. So um, that all of that the vinaya discipline, the various structures of of training for the lay community, the five precepts, the eight precepts for the lay community, and the vast abundance of teachings that all of that was to help <laughs> to uh, to uh, say sustain a community and to help that the teaching and the practice to. To pass through time, through different countries, different regions, different ages, so that quality of kalyanamita spiritual friendship, is uh, is extraordinarily important. And the Buddha put a huge amount of effort and energy into supporting that way of bonding skillfully with each other. And so, within the monastic order, in the lay community, between the monastic order and the and the lay community, well, so many structures are put in place. And it's like um, I mean, the Buddha was a really good lawyer, as well as a good logician and a brilliant enlightened master and teacher. He, is a, he was a very good lawyer, <laughs> setting up the different legal structures and how to make agreements, how to decide things as a group. Extraordinary degree, all for helping Kalyanamitta, spiritual friendship, to be sustained and to have relationships that are close, are sincere, are real, but are going to lead to liberation, not towards more attachment, more more bonding, and more limitation. A few days ago, someone brought up the um, I think it was uh, the lady here with a purple shirt about the Mahamangala Sutta. The beginning of the Mahamangala Sutta uh, is not to uh, not to associate with fools, but to associate with the wise. This is the highest blessing. So uh, again, right there. So verse one, you know, first two lines, uh, first three lines of the of the highest blessings don't associate with foolish people associate with the wise choose who you spend time with it makes a difference as it was said a few years ago when I was here last time well Ajahn <laughs> may I introduce you to my family you know also in the workplace you can have you know very foolish people who happen to be your boss or your, you know, your co-workers uh, the living situations sometimes make it very difficult uh, to not be close but um, In that respect, I would say, and as I said again earlier, we can choose who we carry around in our minds. And one of the the things that, in terms of association, (laughs) is carrying around people in our mind that that we resent or we we criticize, that we have a grudge against. uh, There's a Pali word, patika, patika which is uh, holding a grudge, that sense of of, uh, carrying around, particularly people that we work with that are really irritating, or family members, or ex-partners are particularly good for this. May all beings be happy except him, (laughs) or her. How many people are carrying around the the people from from your office, (laughs) from the the college? You know, your idiot brother just (laughs) won't see reason. (laughs) Again, I'm not reading anybody's mind. It's just statistics rather than psychic powers. So this is how it is in most of our families. So not to create each other, not to carry each other around. Um, if we are carrying people around, then the, the ones that, uh, if we carry people around, like the Buddha or Bodhisattva Manjushri or our, our various spiritual teachers or, or guides, then we recollect them, we revere them, Ajahn smedo Ajahn Cha. There's a, a love, there's a respect, there's a sincere caring, but without a sense of possessiveness or, or, like, I need you there for me, you know, you are special, you're better than everyone else, and you know, and my closeness to you makes me special too, you know, that kind of sticky relationships that, that people can have with spiritual guides. So that the, this quality of uh, skillful relationship and getting a feel for how we can relate to each other, each other in that way is extraordinarily important. I've lived in community for kind of well since I was 21, so my whole adult life I've lived in community. So I kind of don't know anything else. <laughs> so I, I can't really talk about living in an isolated way. Or uh, but uh, my experience has shown that living with people it's so beneficial, it's so helpful and beautiful to establish these kind of uh, unsticky uh, relationships, to to love each other dearly, sincerely, and completely but not to be carrying each other around not to be um, uh, possessive of each other and in that way we help the heart to be independent and uh, free from from uh, attachments. The, the last teaching I thought I'd share with you in this respect, so you've got the, the opening lines of the the Mangala Sutta, you've got the uh, the Buddha's conversation with Ananda about spiritual Kalyanamitta so the last one is a, is a kind of unique sutta it's called the uh, Avicya Sutta the, the Sutta on Ignorance it's in the book of the tens in the numerical discourses Sutta number 61 and it's, it's quite rare that the Buddha speaks about the sources or the causes for ignorance you know, why is it? that we get lost. Why is it that we get distracted? You know, why do we keep creating dukkha? In the Samaditi Sutta uh, he talks about the, the asavas, the outflows being the, the cause of ignorance but in this particular Sutta, the Book of the Tens, he spells it out much more completely and uh, he says uh, you know, what is the, the nourishment, the, the source of, of power For ignorance. He says it's the the five hindrances sense desire, ill will, uh, restlessness, dullness, and doubt. So there's five hindrances. Uh, And what is the the fuel, the support for the five hindrances? The five kinds of unskillful conduct unskillful thought, unskillful speech, unskillful action. So what's the fuel, what's the source for uh, unskillful action? And what's called uh, the source he he outlines there is. uh, lack of sense restraint, uh, which is a bit of a strange term, uh, unusual term in English. What it means is being re- reactive rather than responsive. As I was talking about the other day. So uh, lack of sense restraint if you like if you see something you like <laughs> you chase after it, see something you dislike, you can kind of discard it. Uh, so having a reactive uh, uh, rather than a responsive manner. So lack of sense restraint or kind of always looking around, chasing after things, trying to grab stuff and get stuff and fill your senses with that, which is interesting and exciting. And reacting against or contending against things that are, that are unliked or are, uh, annoying. And, and so that, um, that creates the fuel for those three kinds of unskillful conduct. So what is the fuel? What's the, the power source of that reactivity? Uh, it 's a lack of mindfulness and full awareness, sati Virginia or um, a sense of I say situational awareness is a good term like awareness of the time the place the situation if you 're kind of heedless you're uh, you 're not paying attention you 're not not noticing the time the place the situation you usually get caught up and what 's the cause what 's the, the fuel source for that um, lack of mindfulness and full awareness yeah, it 's a um, uh, a lack of wise reflection you 're not considering uh, Yoni Manasikara is the Pali term for this, and this literally means uh, attending to the source of things it, uh, essentially it 's the reflective power of mind the the pattern recognition capacity, seeing how things fit together, how one thing affects another so that if there's a lack of of wise reflection if you're unreflective then it leads to lack of mindfulness and and a reactive reactive habits so what is the fuel what's the 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 power source for that um lack of wise reflection is a lack of faith, lack of sadha, that there isn't a sense of of that which is good and noble and liberating and that which is uh, unhelpful and unskillful. That's kind of out of the picture. What's the source, what's the fuel for a lack of of faith? Not listening to good teachings, not uh, putting your mind onto helpful guidance. And what's the source of a lack of skillful guidance? not drawing close to good people. <laughs> sapurisa sangseva, another long Pali word, sapurisa, sap means true or good, purisa means a person, sangseva is association with. Sapurisa sangseva. So, the other way around... <laughs> So to reverse the sequence, if you draw close to good people, then that creates the causes for you to be listening to useful teachings. If you listen to useful teachings, that arouses faith. If there's there's faith, then that leads to wise reflection. Wise reflection leads to more mindfulness and uh, full awareness, uh, a situational awareness. Uh, the more mindfulness and full awareness there is, then you live much more responsively rather than reactively. Uh, if, you're, if you're living in a responsive way, then uh, that leads to the three kinds of skillful conduct, skillful thought, skillful speech, skillful action. And that, in turn, supports, is the fuel for the four foundations of mindfulness. The four foundations of mindfulness are the fuel and the support for the seven factors of enlightenment. And the seven factors of enlightenment are the fuel and the support for um, full knowledge and, uh, and liberation. Uh, true knowledge and, and liberation and so right at the root is sapuri satsang seva that's what makes a difference uh, that's the kind of if you want to stop being ignorant <laughs> then draw close to good people that uh, that's the encouragement so i'll leave it there for this morning